from the TWU Local 591 Studio in Colleyville, Texas. It's the ASAP Tech Ops Association podcast with your host, Brad Brueger. Take it away, Brad. Today, what I wanted to talk about a little bit is you've heard us in previous podcasts talk about just culture and just policy. And I want to dig a little deeper into that and put out a little more information just so from a high level, you understand what the just culture philosophy is and what our just policy is. We're coming up on 10 year anniversary of us having the just policy. And still after 10 years, we have the only just policy in the industry. And we have the only just policy at American Airlines and Tech Ops. So I want to kind of talk about that a little bit and dig a little deeper into what is a just culture. What does it mean when we're talking about managing systems and errors and choices? We're going to talk about the skills of managing risk. And then also we're going to talk about severity bias and how that really plays into what we do as far as our investigations when we have errors and bad outcomes. When we're talking about just culture, when we're doing just culture trainings, I always go to one of the textbooks and read a couple paragraphs. And I'd like to read it because any company, any organization that uses a just safety culture or a just culture kind of looks at it like this. As an employer, we recognize the inherent and inescapable fallibility of each and every employee. As a result, we will have no expectation of perfection at the individual or system level. We will instead simply strive to help our employees be as successful as they can be given their natural talents and their willingness to apply those talents in the workplace. We will also work hard to put our employees within well-designed systems and processes. Those who adapt these strategies will paradoxically produce better outcomes than those who continue to cling to hopes of individual perfection. We also recognize that we are all equipped with free will, and by the very nature of choice available to us, we will occasionally drift into risky choices with little or no personal recognition of the risk that we take. That drift, like human error, is simply a natural and predictable part of being a human. There is much we can do, however, to help employees make mission and value-supportive choices from designing good systems around our employees to role modeling, mentoring, and coaching. Better results come from helping employees make good choices. Errors just happen. Choices we can control. When we talk about what a just culture is, I always, in the trainings that we do or anytime I ever talk about this, I always go to kind of a simple scenario to kind of get your head wrapped around what we're talking about. And what I often do is I will ask everybody in the training or who I'm talking to, hey, how many of you in the last couple months have been five or 10 miles over the speed limit on the highway? And typically everybody raises their hand. 99% of the people raise their hand and I'll, I'll make a point to say, okay, well, Hey, you saw the speed limit sign, right? And you knew what the speed limit on the highway was. You knew it was 65. You were taught that in driver's ed and everybody agrees with that. Yeah. I knew what the speed limit was, but I am still doing five or 10 miles over the speed limit. Then I try to make the point to say, okay, everybody keep your hand up. And how many of you did the same thing in a school zone? So how many of you did the same thing in a school zone? And typically everybody's hand comes down because we see the risk in a school zone, right? But, but think about, as a society, what we've done different in a school zone to make people aware of the risk and basically make different choices. Think about the speed limit signs with flashing lights. Think about crosswalks and crossing guards and signs with kids on them, you know, radar in a display saying how fast you're going. You know, all these things that we've done to raise the perception of risk around speeding in a school zone compared to what we do on a highway. We just put a speed limit sign up, right? We may raise the fine, but in a school zone, people view the risk differently. They see the risk. And, and if you ask everybody, hey, why don't you speed in a school zone? Yeah, there may be a person 
person that throws out there, hey, the fines are double. But what most people say is, hey, we don't want to hurt a kid. We see the risk. And think about this. We've done such a good job in a school zone that if all of us are driving 25 through the school zone, doing the speed limit, and somebody goes blowing by us doing 50, how do we react? How does that make us feel? And, and for the most part, how it makes us feel is it upsets us and we're mad and we want to hold that person accountable that just did something none of us would have done. And we've done such a good job. If we get to the end of the school zone and we see that person pulled over for doing something none of us would have done, and getting a $300 ticket, we're fine with that. That's justice. We're okay with that. Now, on the flip side, if we're all driving down the highway and we see somebody pulled over getting a ticket, probably our first thought is, hey, just glad it's not me, right? But think about how we have drifted and think of the things that we do on the highway. We'll be driving. We'll see a cop. We'll all slow down, right? When we don't see the cop anymore, we'll speed back up, but we'll take it a step further. We'll flash our lights at the oncoming traffic, say, hey, there's a cop back there, right? So we've drifted pretty far on the highway. And if you think about the percentage of people on the highway that speed, it's a big percentage. Think about all the different types of people there are that are speeding on the highway. Doctors, nurses, bartenders, mechanics, dispatchers, everybody, right? but we're all human. We're all fallible human beings and we all drift. And the trick to just culture is this. If we can create school zones in our environment and our organizations and raise people's awareness of the risk, people make different choices. So that's what my simple example of just culture is. And let me make one more point about the highway. And I, I made this point on the school zone and said, hey, look, if we see somebody getting a ticket on the school zone, we're okay with that. That's justice, right? And it's no different than our work environment. If we see somebody that gets dinged in our work environment for doing something none of us would have done, we may think that's justice. On the other side of that, if we're on the highway and we see somebody getting dinged for something that we're all doing, we don't see that as justice. And so in our work environment, that's the same thing that happens. The organization, if all they do is wait for the bad outcome and get the person that was involved in it, while the whole time knowing that everybody else is doing the same thing that person did every other day, then that's not justice. And that's not the way we should be doing stuff. The next thing we really want to talk about is this, the skills of managing risk. And we a lot of times say there's five skills to it, but let's just talk about them. Setting clear values and expectations. That's what any organization needs to be able to do to manage risk. If you can set the expectations and you have shared values throughout the organization, then you have a better chance of reducing your bad outcomes. The second skill is managing errors and choices. We're all human. We all make mistakes. We all make errors and we all make poor decisions from time to time. So if we can manage those. That's a skill of managing risk. The third is designing and managing reliable and resilient systems. All of the things that we have in our work environment that the human being uses to do whatever job it is, that's system design. That, that is one of the skills of managing risk. The third skill is justice and monitoring reliability. When we stand in judgment of a bad outcome, we use an algorithm in ASAP or under the just policy. So we, we monitor reliability when we have undesirable outcomes and we use our just culture algorithm. And then finally, the last skill is learning and proving, taking all of the, the stuff that we learn in these investigations and taking the things we can take from that and go improve what we're doing, the process, the system, all kinds of things that we do, but it doesn't do us any good if we can't learn and improve from that. And so that's a skill of managing risk as well. That's the final skill of managing risk, I would say. So let's talk about being a fallible human being. We're biased, make mistakes, we make poor choices. And we're going to continue to do that because we're not perfect, right? 
being a fallible human being is something that we always have to take into account in any environment, in any organization, because there's never, ever going to be a perfect human being, right? And when I say we're biased, let me just clarify that what that means to me, okay? When I'm talking about biases, what I'm not I'm not talking about anything other than this. We all come from a different place. We all have a different background. We all have a different life experience. We all have a different education. And that forms the goggles in which we view the world. And that's a bias. And we can't change that. I don't even think that's a bad thing, but our bias dictates how we see things that happen right in front of us. And at the end of the day, the only thing that we can do is understand that we have it and try to put it to the side when we're trying to look at something objectively. And that's the whole thing that we try to do in ASAP and in our investigations is we try to be objective about something. Having to put our bias aside and try to see the world through the person who we're we're talking to and why they saw what they saw, why they did it the way they did it is, is, is what we try to do and just try to recognize our bias. We will never be able to get rid of it for sure. Okay, so let's talk about the three behaviors that we recognize and what we identify when we're investigating these events. The first one is human error, and that is inadvertently doing other than what was intended, a slip, a lapse, or a mistake. And that is us driving down the highway, and this doesn't happen very often, So, but just let's say it does happen from time to time. Hey, I might be driving down the highway and get distracted by something and look down and say, oh crap, hey, I'm going five miles too fast and slow down. It wasn't that I was keeping up with the flow of traffic or I was trying to do that. It was that I got distracted and for whatever reason, I was trying to drive the speed limit. I was trying to do it the right way and I got distracted and I made an error. That's a human error. Human errors, we don't see that often. But just the important thing about the human error is the the person's trying to do it the way we want them to. They're trying to do it right, but because they're a human, they make a mistake. So that's a human error. The second behavior we see is an at-risk choice. A choice where risk is not perceived or it's believed to be insignificant or justified. Now, this is us driving 70 and a 65 on the highway. We're all comfortable. We've drifted into a place where we've either justified keeping up with the flow of traffic or we don't think it's significant. And we've drifted into a place where we're comfortable doing something that we know is wrong, right? We all know what the speed limit is. So an average choice is a choice where I don't perceive the risk like I should, or I think it's insignificant or it's justified. And it's a perfect example of us driving down the highway doing 70, keeping up with the flow of traffic. And finally, the third choice that we recognize, the third behavior is a reckless choice. And that's a choice, a conscious disregard of a substantial and unjustifiable risk. That is somebody going 40 in a school zone doing something none of us would do. That's crossing the line. And we don't see that very often either. We have a lot of good people that work at American Airlines and and we don't see reckless choices very often. That's good. But the reckless choice is somebody speeding through the school zone doing something that none of us would have done. The next thing that I really want to talk about is system design and managing systems. When we're talking about system design, we put an equal focus on the system, just like we do an individual. And I know that's not what you normally see, but in our world, in ASAP, under our just policy, there's got to be an equal focus put on investigating and understanding what the system, how the system played into what we're investigating, just like we would errors and choices that an employee makes. We look at that just, just as much, but it can't be just on the employee and not go look at the system just as hard. Okay, so when we're talking about designing systems, just a couple things that I want to say. Systems can be reliable. They can be resilient. Perfection is not possible, though, and we need to keep that in mind. And when we're talking about designing systems, we're talking about proper equipment tooling, adequate facilities, making sure that the people 
on the front line have the proper perception of risk. They see the risk like we want them to. That's part of designing a system. Making a system more reliable is is really dependent on the barriers that we put in place, the recoveries or the redundancies that we build into the system. You know, barriers, a good example of a barrier is, you know, if you buy a new Ford, they don't have a gas cap because probably over time they got tired of replacing gas caps, right? So we just took that control. We put that control, that barrier in place to keep people from losing gas caps. Before that, it was a lanyard, right? Recoveries. We build in recoveries. Let's say in our world, an RII inspection or a QC buyback is a recovery. We may have made the error, but something catches it before it escalates, right? And then redundancies. Hey, we're all, this is the aircraft business. Everybody knows that we've got multiple aircraft systems and that's just a redundancy that we're used to seeing. So that's a system design. Some of the things that we should keep in mind when we're talking about managing systems and designing systems. When we're talking about system design, we also, let's talk about the different types of risk controls that we may see in system design. And let's start with the least reliable. Let's say it's a human control. That's the lowest reliability. And that's just say, hey, we, we want that human to follow the laws and we want them to remember what we trained them. That is the least reliable control that we could put in place. The next thing that we could do is a system slash human control where we may rely on the human for part of the control and we may rely on something else. So a backup camera or seatbelt, that's a good example of, of a system and human control. We need the human to look at the backup camera, but the backup camera aids us and that's part of the system design, right? And then finally, the most of, most reliable control is just system controls automated and, and they're like 95 to 98% reliable. If you think about airbags or our anti-collision systems on our cars, they, they take my ability to make a choice out of the equation. And so they're more reliable. They take the human component out and that makes it the most reliable thing we could do. Okay, so we're kind of covered everything I want to talk to about just culture, right? And then kind of what we look at and how we approach our investigation. So I just want to highlight a couple things just to remind you of maybe some key points to remember here. When we're talking about just culture, it's a shared system of accountability. It's the organization being responsible for managing clear and consistent expectations and managing system design. It's the frontline employee who is responsible for making good quality choices. And then when we respond to a bad outcome or a bad event, it's the organization's responsibility to keep the focus on systems and errors and choices equally and not just get hung up on a bad outcome and focus on the individual because that's not how this should work and that's not how we're going to get the best results from our investigations. Before we wrap this up, I want to talk about the just policy a little bit and the idea that no other work group in America has a just policy, which I don't really understand why they don't, because you would think that as long as since we've been doing this for 10 years, you would hope that management would see the value in this and just treat every employee like this, no matter where they worked or, or, or what department they were in. But unfortunately, right now we have tech ops is the only place where we have the just policy. And the short version of what the just policy is, it doesn't matter if you file an ASAP report or not. If we have a maintenance error or violation, we have this process built in through our contract that says we're going to do these steps in this investigation this way every time, no matter if a person puts an ASAP report in or not. This is just how we're going to do it. That's in the JCBA now. And the just policy after 10 years has been a huge success for the company, for the frontline employee, and for us understanding why things happen instead of just focusing in on who to blame. And that's what the just policy does. So you don't even have to put an ASAP report in. Now, 99.9% of the people put an ASAP report in when we have an investigation. 
of MIA, when we go do a just policy investigation, it's probably going to be an ASAP report, but it doesn't happen all the time. And, and, and that isn't a requirement for you to have a fair and just investigation into what happened. Okay, so I just want to cover a couple of points with the just policy, kind of where it came from is the first point. You know, we started this back in 2009, 2010, and what we learned was we had these disjointed processes and overlapping investigations when something went on, and a lot of times they came up with different results. And back then, everybody got together and said, hey, there's got to be a better way to do this. And we actually worked with the labor union at Qantas, and Paul Cousins, they helped us come up with a just policy that fit our world. They had a just policy back then. It was a little different. It's a different country, different way they do things. But we kind of took some of what they were doing and applied it to what we were doing. And we came up with this process. The just policy was started in 2011 in tech ops, and it's been going ever since. And we've renewed it a couple times. And the recent JCBA, we have again kept it going and added to it. So lastly, what I'd like to point out are some benefits of the just policy, and I just want to highlight some of them. What it does is it moves us towards proactive risk management. Let's manage the risk in the operation before we have the bad outcome. And it also improves our self-reporting, improves confidence in self-reporting. When people see an event or they're involved in an investigation and things get fixed out of it and they feel like they're treated fair, then people have faith in, in the system and they have faith in the process. And what we've seen since we started this is a, a dramatic increase in our reporting and people's willingness to be a part of the process and come in and tell us what actually happened. It improves the visibility of systemic issues. The more we learn, the more data we gather, the more things we can see systemically wide. So don't ever think that when we're investigating something, it may just be at your station. That's why ASAP reports are so important because we see things that happen system-wide and it helps us understand that there's bigger issues and not just what happened in, at your station. What the just policy also has allowed us to do is get away from just focusing on what happened or how much it cost or who can we blame it on and putting band-aids on to fix something. And we can actually understand why something happened and we can go in there and make a better corrective action. And when I say corrective action, I mean system corrective action, a process or, or improving something in the system. So hopefully this information has given you a little more of a glimpse into the philosophy behind ASAP, our just culture, and what drove us into the just policy, how we got that. And, you know, hopefully this information will get out and hopefully management pays attention and, and sees the value here. And, and maybe let, let's get the just policy out to pilots and flight attendants at American Airlines and, you know, maybe someday even past American Airlines to other carriers. But right now, we're, we're fortunate that we have this, and we worked hard to get this. So hopefully, management gets to see the benefits of it, and uh, they improve it. Hopefully, this gives you a little better understanding of what we look at and how we look at things. And just remember the school zone and the highway example. That's a, it's a simple example, but what we're interested in is raising people's perception of risk so that people understand and make better choices. And they, they will if they see the risk like we want them to. So we've got to be better as an organization, making people aware of the risk. And that's part of what we're trying to do in ASAP and other just policies. So hopefully this has been enlightening. And if you have questions, email us at any time and ask us this stuff. And I'd be happy to talk more about it. But just wanted to get on here and kind of go a little deeper into what we're talking about with just policy and just culture. Hey, thanks for tuning in. We'll be back with another podcast soon. For questions or for more information about this or any of our podcasts, email techopsasap at gmail.com. That's T-E-C-H-O-P-S-A-S-A-P at gmail.com. 
Music provided under license by Pond5. The Tech Ops ASAP podcast is produced and engineered by Tommy Ingalls.